Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 56, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day, Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, I think we're going to set some new records here for downloads this week. How you doing, brother? Why is that? I mean, just looking at the way things are trending, people are excited about this football team again, and they are tuning in to hear your boys. Oh, I thought it was because I, I, I thought it was because I did a good job. <laughs> ben, I think you're doing a fantastic job. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. No, I'm glad to hear point. it. No, like you said, the Rams podcast was, was, I think, a really good one, a breakdown. Hopefully, we keep the momentum going here. This is Texans defense, Eagles offense. But I will say there was a lot of good news uh, in the Eagles-Rams recap. There is not as much good news, in my opinion, uh, when we're talking about this Texans defense. It's kind of good. Yes, it is. And we're going to get into that. So that's going to be the main topic of the show. We're going to be talking about the Philadelphia Eagles offense led by Nick Foles. Carson Wentz is out. We'll get into that injury report in a second. And we'll be previewing that offense against the Houston Texans defense for this show. Of course, we have some house cleaning to do. The injury report or the estimated injury report for Wednesday here, recording Wednesday night. Important note there, but we'll get right into it for the Eagles. Michael Bennett did not participate with a foot. Alshon Jeffrey with an illness. Don't worry about that. Cornerback Sidney Jones with a hamstring does not look like he's going to be back this week. Week to week. Yeah, week to week. Yeah, which is bad. If It means he's not playing. Right, exactly. That's Doug speak. Uh, offensive guard Isaac Siamalo with a, with a peck. Does not look like he's going to be playing, so Wisniewski will start in place of him again. And then quarterback Carson Wentz, again, did not participate. He won't practice this week, it looks like, and they've named Nick Foles the starter. Limited participation, DJ Alexander has been on this list the entire year. He's dealing with a hamstring. Defensive tackle, Fletcher Cox with a hip. Zach Ertz ankle. Jordan Hicks returns to the limited participation part of this injury report, which could be big. That is really encouraging to see him on limited participation on a Wednesday. Looks good for his prospects for playing on Sunday. Defensive tackle, Timmy Jernigan still dealing with the back. And then punter Cameron Johnston with the back. I don't know what he did to make oh, that Oh, come happen. on. <laughs> he was lifting. Cammy was lifting. Cammy was pissed he didn't get the Pro Bowl nod, baby. Oh, man, gotta go work it off in the gym. We might have to talk about that because I am I'm super pissed about Jason Kelsey not making it. Forget forget the rest. Like I, I understand the ball production is not there for Malcolm Jenkins, and you know Michael Bennett started to turn it on a little bit later as the season started to go and the numbers started to come. But Jason Kelsey is such a big snub, and I am upset that he is not going to get that roster bonus, even if he's an alternative, because the replacements don't get that roster bonus unless it's clearly in their contract, and for the most part, it is not. But Ben, yep. wherever you want to take this, the Pro Bowl discussion or with the injury report here, what it could mean for the Eagles come Sunday. Well, so number one, I, 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 I see Michael Bennett on the injury report every week. 
and every week i freak out even though every week he plays on sunday <laughs> i understand it's just like a him being over 30 thing and it's a rest thing yeah yeah end of the season sort of maintenance thing um but no the michael bennett one always worries me obviously the jordan hicks addition coming back is big and we haven't yeah. yet necessarily looked specifically at what you're going to be getting from uh, the Texans offense and the extent to which Hicks will matter. But the number one weakness that the Eagles defense has when Hicks isn't on the field is going to be that underneath coverage rally and tackle ability, which is something we talked about they did with the Ram against the Rams with a lot of success. That's something Hicks is very strong at in terms of, of quickly identifying the underneath crosser, the underneath sit route, whatever it is, and rallying up there and making a tackle. That's one of his strengths. And so, Yes, obviously, obviously seeing him back would be great. I can't remember the last week where the Eagles were like more healthy coming into a game than they were in last week's game. And it's sounding like they could potentially be plus one in the player column this week coming in against Houston. That would be a welcome sight for sure. Absolutely. And you look at the Houston Texans, their injury list here. It's big, but they didn't have anyone that did not participate. We'll kind of go through the main ones. You got wide receiver Kiki Kuti. The rookie dealing with a hamstring out of Texas Tech there. Nose tackle Brandon Dunn with an ankle. Let's see here. Safety Andre Hall. We're going to talk about he plays in their big dime package. He's dealing with an ankle. Wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins with an ankle. Uh, expect him to play. Cornerback slash safety slash nickel. Kareem Jackson, their version of Avante Maddox. He's dealing with a hip injury. Uh, what else here? Running back Lamar Miller is dealing with an ankle sprain. He had that last week. So that could be big for the Eagles. That could limit his effectiveness. They may have to activate Deonta Foreman into the, into the rotation there. And then J.J. Watt with a knee. Full participation, not really worried about that. Some names on there like Dylan Cole and uh, Justin Reed, who we're definitely going to talk about. Uh, ben, anything to take away from this uh, Houston Tech? I think the big one is Lamar Miller if it limits his effectiveness for this offense. And we haven't really dug into the offense yet, but that could be big for us. Yeah, I think it will be big if he can't play because that means that the number one running back taking the snaps in lieu of him, if memory serves, is going to be Alfred Blue. Right. And that's a big deal because Alfred Blue always, every single year, Mike, without fail, has one inexplicably fantastic game where he just like, you know, he just like takes over. It's, I know, like, like, Back from when I, I played fantasy regularly, which I don't do now, thank goodness. You were like I, I you'd always get suckered in by Alfred Blue because he'd have like a hundred yard game, ninety yard game at some point in the middle of the season. You'd be like, this will be real, and then it never is. Uh, <laughs> and Alfred Blue, I'm looking at his game logs right now. Mike has not had a big 2018 game, oh. and the laws of the universe state Alfred Blue has to have at least one unnecessarily big game. <laughs> so we don't want to see Alfred Blue getting a ton of touches. Listen. It goes back to the, the luck thing. The Eagles didn't have to deal with a ton of Todd Gurley in the second half, some but right. not a ton, uh, because of the injury there. If they're going to go without a uh, the the number one running back in two out of two games, I mean that can only be helpful. You know, what I mean that can only be good news. From the little bits that I've seen of the Texans' offense, they run that through Deshaun Watson and his arm, and they've obviously really heavily invested in the wide receivers there over the last few years, adding to DeAndre Hopkins, who's already one of the top receivers in the league. So. Uh, I don't think, like, you know, this isn't like a, a run-first attack. I don't think Ger uh, Miller matters as much to the Texans as Gurley does to the Rams, obviously. But still, I agree with you. That is the big one. Uh, yeah, they don't seem to have a ton of hugely important names missing, in, you know, beyond, like, the guys they've already, like, lost IR, like Will Fuller and whatever, you know, right. Kevin Johnson, those guys have already been gone. Other than that, like, you know what I mean? They haven't lost anybody recently week to week that will kind of change the complexion of their team, I don't think. I agree. So let's get to the preview portion of this show, Ben. Let's go Eagles offense. We're doing the Texans defense. Ben, this defense, this Houston Texans defense is going to be 
a bigger test than I think most expect. And you aren't really hearing much about it, which I get. You're coming off a big win over the Rams, and that's the story right, right now. But looking past the Texans would be a big mistake. And not saying that the Eagles are, but I think the media is a bit. We were kind of talking about this before the show. Do you want to dig into that right now? Why you think maybe it's not yeah. a trap game? Maybe even with a really okay, good team well, with a really good record. Trap <laughs> you know, game. You know okay, I mean. okay, okay. Okay. Why is the perception of this game different than what we think the reality is to a degree to which you might liken it to being a trap game, Michael? <laughs> By the way. I'm calling this 5% trap game, not not even – I'm telling you that there's a likeness there right. that you, you could no. be sleeping on the Texans looking ahead. The character of the trap game is that right. the, the your perceptions about it and how it's being treated, you know, like in the media and in pressers is vastly different than how it, we view it, which is why we feel it to be a trap game. Right. Uh, like, you know, that, that character remains the same. Obviously, it's a very different discrepancy that we're talking about here. The thing is this Houston's Texans game wasn't supposed to matter. Right, like, like if the Eagles beat the Cowboys, then what you would have assumed was, okay, they lose to the Rams, and then this Texans game matters a ton. They have to win it to stay on top of the Cowboys for the division. That that was what the prevalent thought was. Then the Eagles lose to the Cowboys, and it's like, all right, well, they're not going to make the playoffs now. They have to beat the Rams in order to do it, <laughs> and then they beat the Rams, which the a great microcosm for how this. Yeah, exactly. This, if you don't, this is exactly how the season has gone. Uh, so then they beat the Rams. And now all of a sudden the Texans game matters again. So because we had that week off of like, all right, we have, they have to win this one and this team has to lose that one and they have to make sure they don't lose more than this. Because we had that week off between the Cowboys and the Rams, we're now back into, okay, so if they beat the Texans. And so very much so the, the conversation we've been having up until now, which is Wednesday night, have been, okay, so if they beat the Texans, which is not mulling over and steamrolling over, how difficult it is to beat the Texans, but it's just so much of what we're interested in right now because it's playoff push, because the Eagles are on the bubble, they're the seventh seed or whatever. So much of the conversation we're dealing with right now is just, okay, what happens if they beat the Texans? What do they need to happen to get into the playoffs? Because everybody knows if they lose to the Texans, it's pretty much done, right? Yeah. Again, there's outside shots, but pretty much it's over. So that's what we're talking about. Now it's time to talk about what it will look like to beat the Texans. And in order to beat the Texans, you're going to have to be a defense that, man, Mike, you know I like to use uh, Bill Connolly's uh, analytics on SB Nation for team strength. And one of my favorite things about these analytics, Mike, uh, is the little data viz. They don't use green for good and red for bad. They use mm. orange for bad and blue for good to kind of get a little saucy with it. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> I just really like how they change it up. I think that's cool. Mike, there's a whole lot of blue. Blue is good. Yeah. There's a whole lot of blue Texans defense. I'm going to tell you two areas where it's straight blue. Uh, in the explosiveness basics, which, again, Philadelphia's offense, we know have been struggling with explosive plays. Uh, their, Philadelphia's only good ability on explosive plays is generating them in the running game. And the Texans are the third best defense in limiting explosive plays against the run. So that's a problem. And then uh, then area that uh, Connolly calls five factors, which is just kind of like a, uh, not extraneous stuff, but you got to understand this is the seventh best defense in terms of marginal efficiency, the eighth best defense in terms of marginal explosiveness, Mike, the second best team in terms of field position, which is huge. Okay, the one thing you notice about this Texans team is they get great field positioning a lot, and they are very, very good and very aggressive when you are backed up against your own red zone. They love to win the field position battle against you, and they get short fields on offense as a result. Yeah. Ninth in points per scoring opportunity, so they're very efficient in the red zone. Fifth in expected turnovers, so they're generating turnovers at a great rate. Basically, in all of the little stuff, all of the, the hallmarks of a well-coached defense, a well-done team, Texans are good. And then they're still like, you know, sixth in standard down success rate ninth in overall big play rate they're still great at like the big stuff but it's the little stuff that they're also fantastic at this is a very 
very good defense. Yeah, what I was looking at was football outsiders. You see that they're seventh ranked overall on DVOA defense and pivoting to the run game. They're second in DVOA with the rush defense. Let's talk about that. Let's, because I have I have a, a charge to levy. I have a, an accusation to make in court. All right, so we'll get into it and then we'll see what Ben is upset about. So you're talking about a Texans defense that is allowing the least yards per carry, allowing the least yards per carry on first and 10. They've allowed the least number of 10 plus yard runs, the least number of 20 plus yard runs, and it carries with them when they travel. They're allowing nearly a half yard less on the road. I have serious concerns about this team, this Eagles team, being able to run the ball against the Texans. DJ Reader in the interior is a big man playing really good ball. J.J. Watt, Jadavion Clowney, we know about them. Linebacker Bernard, uh, Bernardrick McKinney, he has been quietly very, very excellent against the run lately. And even in the second ain't, game. Ain't, ain't no quietly about it. Watch one football game of the Texans. Kids a yeah. stud. Exactly. No one's talking about him, and he's incredible against the run. So then you look at the secondary, like I was getting into, Kareem Jackson, the Honey Badger, Tara Matthew, Justin Reed have all popped in the run game on film. These dudes are disruptive. They're technically sound. They get after it with Mm -hmm. really good angles. Three games. In the last three games, Ben, 31 yards for the Browns on the ground, 50 yards for the Colts, who have a very good running attack, 90 yards for the Jets. They haven't allowed Dude. over 124 yards on the ground this season, Ben. Colts couldn't get Jack moving. Yeah, and, they couldn't. And, and, and the reason why Colts' running game is interesting is because it's the same as the <laughs> Eagles, right? They're running very similar concepts, and they have a fantastic offensive line as well. J.J. Watt, uh, ex-first-round pick. Whitney Merciless, ex-first-round pick. Zach Cunningham, second-round pick. Bernard McKinney, McKinney, second round pick. Jadavian Clowney, round one pick. This is a, uh, there's a lot of investment in yeah. this front seven. It turns out, right? You've got DJ Reader playing the nose, who is a fifth, uh, a fifth. But it's awesome. He was a fifth, and I, there, I'm pretty sure there was a reason he fell. Let me pull up his profile real quick. He's from Clemson, the right? From, from a few years back? How yes. And is he? No, 2016 draft. Oh, he's got around six, seven grade here. I don't know. I, for me, I, I thought there was like a, a narrative behind it. Whatever, maybe I'm wrong. Not playing like a fifth rounder. That's the point right yes. now. <laughs> but so this, this is this is my this is my uh, umbrage. This is my issue. I'd like to levy. Hmm. So they'll put DJ Reader at the one tech. They'll put uh, Angelo Blackson, who's one of the backup defensive linemen, at the three tech. They'll put JJ Watt as as a, as a five tech, and they'll put uh, Whitney Merciless, who's like a stand up edge guy. As a seven tech, they'll even bring Zach Cunningham down as like a stand up nine tech, as a stand up Sam in a four three under. So you should be asking yourself right now, Mike, who's named in? And I say Jadavion Clowney, because they put him at Mike. They yeah. put you. They put you. My, Mike! And you know what the tendency, you know what they like to do with that? I, and to, to me, okay, I'll see what you saw. To me, it was very heavy on rundowns first and 10. And what do they like to do with him on those rundowns? Oh, well, they'll, they'll blitz him from that position all the time. Yeah. They'll just every, they'll bring him just down. Just about every time. <laughs> right. No, no, no. No, I, I, no, I acknowledge that. They'll bring him down to an A-gap or B-gap. But I need you to understand. Yeah. Jadavian Clowney, 6'5", 265. <laughs> 34 and a half inch arms, we you know, Mike 4 linebacker. 5 3 40 with a 1 5 5 split, jumped 37 and a half inches, broad jumped 10 feet 4 inches, and benched 21 pounds. This is not, like, imagine having a good enough defensive line to take, like, the poster boy for freakazoid defensive line athlete and just put him at linebacker. Just to be like, hey, 
two middle fingers up to everything like, oh, you're going to reach our middle linebacker? What if we made him huge and really fast like, and super long? Do you remember yeah. how inconvenient it is? Like you expect to be able to wall that guy off. You expect to be able to meet him in the second level. Even good Mike, even good, you know, like you were, you got good uh, Bobby Wagner, Luke Keekley, these uh, Leighton Van Der Esch. These guys are playing at two fifty, maybe he's two hundred sixty five pounds. <laughs> Dude, it's impossible. He's so disruptive. It's literally just like, hey, Jadavian, do whatever you want, and right. probably it's going to be good, right? So, like I said, they blitz him, and obviously they'll make it. Like we talked about, um, the blitzes that. The Cowboys send Jalen Smith on aren't necessarily super different. And Smith is another guy who's a really big body for the position, has great athleticism, has great strength. It's not Clowney levels. I can't emphasize that enough. But don't make it clear where they're blitzing him from. And Clowney will pepper that gap. But the reality is that when you're establishing your angles in the running game, when you're calling and identifying the mic, it drastically changes. When it's 55, Bernardrick McKinney, okay, just run like you usually do. And you're still in trouble because this is a good defense. When they put 90 back there, I have no... like. I have no answer to that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I hope the coaching staff does. I'm sure they do. But, like, I'm thinking in my head, like, well, what would I do if Jadavion Clowney was at the mic? What would I call in the running game? And my answer is, I would never, ever, just, just dumb. Like, you want to be like, oh, like, run to the outside. He is really fast. <laughs> you yeah. can't. He's, oh, it's a problem. You can't run outside on this team. You can't run outside zone on the Houston Well, yeah, Texans. if they're, if they're leaving, because they bring Teron Matthew, who, right. let's talk about how annoying Teron Matthew is. They bring <laughs> Teron Matthew down as the strong, uh, as the strong safety into the box yeah. as their extra guy. And here was my experience of watching Teron Matthew on the Texans. I'll tell you exactly how it went. It was a multi-step process. Step one, remember that Teron Matthew was traded to the Texans. Step two, get pretty pissed about that. Why didn't Arizona just keep him? Step three, Think to myself, well, I haven't really heard a lot about Teron Matthew of the Texans, and he's, he has he was a little quieter. Like his last really good like season where he was like really buzzy was like 2016. So right. like maybe it's not like you know the honey badger of old. Step four: watch Houston Texans defensive tape. Step five: despair because <laughs> Teron Matthew remains really freaking good. Like yeah. that's the thing is like we forget. And I, I said trade. It wasn't a trade. He was signed. He, uh, he walked in free agency, right? Yeah, I, it, I can't. Yeah, I can't. Either trade. way, I don't know what it was like to me. Like that, I guess that that entire process, like it, it still had some hullabaloo to it. But like in my experience of it, like it wasn't like as big of a process as you usually see for like a big time free agent. So I was just kind of like, okay, like yeah, so turn my one year the deal that a one year deal that right. he signed with less. Mike, he's money. playing out of his mind. Listen, again, we'll go back to the Colts tape. I was very interested yeah. in the Colts tape because the Colts have this tight end who's playing pretty well, Eric Ebron, and I wanted to see how the Texans were going to line up against him. Spoiler alert, uh, they put Teron Matthew within five yards of him and had Teron Matthew hit him, and that worked a lot. Simple as that, right? And so what we're talking, we're talking about the run game. When you get Matthew down to the line of scrimmage, you get Zach Cunningham, uh, a second-year player out of Vanderbilt as their Mike or their strong linebacker. He can really fly. Bernardrick McKinley can absolutely move. And you're dealing with this defensive line. It's so hard to run on these guys. What I think you see as a response, and we talk about this a lot, is how can you substitute your running game with quick high-percentage passes that basically do the same thing? Right. And you've seen teams, I think, have a lot of success with bubble screens against the Texans, especially when they like to play They like to play middle of the field open, so cover two, cover four. And especially when they're in their cover four and their quarters, they're going to be off line of scrimmage with their corners. And so if you come out in tight splits, you come out in a little bunch of stack sets, they'll give you space to run bubble screens. They like their their odds of their safeties coming up and making a tackle, which rightfully, because their safeties are good tacklers. But you got to be able to use bubble screen constraint plays 
to substitute in for the running attack and uh, running attack in my opinion because that's going to be your your free yards to stay ahead of the sticks you, if you try to run on them to get that that offense moving to get the motor running yeah you're going to get uh, a tfl on first and 10 and all of a sudden like we said saint nick behind the sticks ain't about it so that's exactly the point that i was wanting to get to in yeah this sure no yeah no of course yeah definitely no you're right <laughs> No, you made it for me. You made the exact case. I don't want to hear, and I don't need to see, 15 carries 28 yards from Josh Adams again. I don't care about being balanced. I care about being efficient. Running on this team 15 times up the middle with Josh Adams is not going to be efficient. Getting the quick game passing game going is the more efficient manner. Okay, so I don't want to hear, we need to root and run the ball. I don't. I don't care. I don't care. We just told you. This is not a great proposition for the Eagles in the ground game. So that's what I want to hear from fans right now. If they come out with a heavy passing attack, I won't be one of the ones complaining. That's all I'm saying. So it's going to have to be a big game from Nick Foles. And part of that is going to be protecting him. And one tendency that they have that might be trouble for the Eagles with their protection are the stunts with Clowney coming from outside to inside. I hate Jadavian Clowney literally so much. He wrecks the, he wrecks the whole game plan. He's so inconvenient. Okay, <laughs> Stunts are something that, that me and Trey Thomas seemingly discuss on the timeline weekly, but last oh, week... Wait, wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I have to pick up that name you dropped. Give me a second. Oh, oh I got it for you. There you go, buddy. That's You're going to you. use my own line against me. You took the high road when we were in the slack, and you take the low road when we are in the pod. I love oh, it. I, on the podcast, absolutely, because people listen to this. And the high road will be nice to you. This is the podcast, man. I'm trying to get some good reviews up in here. So anyway, we were able to deal with the Suns last week with some good techniques. So it looks like there was some improvement there. But, but Clowney, at this point in his career, is a better uh, rusher from the interior. Having him smash inside when they stand him up or having him come on a stunt and come inside, it, it's, it's a t- – my God. That is terrifying. So they got to be cognizant of where Clowney is at all the time. So this pass rush definitely concerns me. Between him and J.J. Watt really amping up his game lately, and another tendency you'll notice about them too, if you keep in your back to block, they'll send that dude. Oh, yeah. They, 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 they green dog. They're very, very aggressive with their green dogs. And they have some really creative blitz packages on money downs that is going to put some mental stress on this offensive line as well. So they're creative. They're aggressive. Uh, they're going to remind you a lot of the Texans blitz schemes. And they're deep, too. I haven't even mentioned linebacker Whitney Merciless yet in, in that pass rush package. He's got three sacks on twenty and 27 pressures on the year on just 151 <sighs> pass rush snaps. Sub-package dude, the sub-package dude, the big dude, Christian Cummington, four sacks on 151 pass rush snaps. They'll drop him too. It's fun. They'll drop Reader. They'll drop Brandon Dunn. They'll drop Covington. It looks ridiculous, but it's hilarious and it's terrifying. It'll mess with your post-snap looks and get in those middle shallow zones for sure, dude. It's it's going to be a fun one for this offensive line, Ben. Ben Romeo is just like Cornell. distraught. <laughs> Romeo Cornell is my enemy. Well, when you said Whitney Merciless, I remember yeah. that I was so upset about Jadavian Clowney that I forgot about Whitney Merciless, who's a problem. They're all problems. And this is like, <laughs> like if we're talking about the best front sevens in the league right now, and I, I, I'm, I'm taking like a moment's pause here because I'm trying to run through division by division and really convince myself of some front sevens who are better. I don't know if you can put Philadelphia's up there right now with the injuries that they've been having. Right. Minnesota's got linebacker problems, man. Like, they've been struggling to get good linebacking play. Chicago will be up there for sure. Yeah, Chicago is definitely up there. It's a top three. It's a top three front seven in the league. I'm going to say that comfortably. And if I have to recant that when I go through more closely, then I will. But I'm very comfortable saying this 
front seven is nasty. And as we talked about, you know, I, I did it in terms of JV Clowney. You did it in a much more analytical sense. Um, when you have that strong of a front seven, you have the freedom to bring guys from a ton of different ways. And what this allows the Texans to do, which was very surprising for me to see because this defense is not as strong in the past, which we're about to talk about, but they are still a good pass defense. They run so little match stuff. They run yeah. so little, you know, of this, of like complex, like check coverages and, 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 and different looks and, and trap calls way less than I expected. They come out and they say, Hey, you get us out of cover two man. If you can, right. And a lot of teams can't really get there. You know what I mean? It's going to be a situation where they're going to have, we, we, Mike and I talked about this before the show. They like to get three safeties out on the field. Uh, yeah. They got Teron Matthew. We've talked about, we've got Justin Reed who Mike high five through the screen. We knew things about Justin Reed. We knew that man would be good. That man a dog. Just Reed plays free safety for the Houston Texans. He is its third round safety. He is really good. Shout out to the Steelers for taking Terrell Edmonds in the first round instead of Justin Reed. Great Shout choice. out everybody. I mean, like everyone. Like, okay, what else? Jesse Jesse Bates for Cincinnati. Probably like okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. Listen, shout out to everybody who just doesn't draft safeties anymore. Derwin's in Los Angeles. Justin Reed is in Houston, and they're eating for playoff teams. Yeah. And then finally, that they're are they're going to get um, either Mike Tyson, their other strong safety. They're going to get Andre Hall, who is their their third safety. They like to rotate in as Been well. Been a lot of Hall lately, yeah. And what you're going to see from those three safety looks is you'll have one guy up high, mostly Reed. He'll generally be shaded. To a, to a hash. He won't be a true center fielder. He'll be a little bit further up the field than your center fielder would be, and he'll be shaded. He'll be on a hash. Uh, and then they're, they're going to have very frequently the safety to the strong side, Teron Matthew, drop then and play cover two. From there, they can switch things up, though. They can have the safety from the weak side drop, and they can uh, have Reed switch over to the other side, which then rotates the coverage a little bit, forces the quarterback to spend a click more time identifying the coverage and checking, making sure they have middle of the field open. Sometimes it'll be they'll be bringing a blitz down from that side, and it'll be a full bail coverage on the other side, like we said, creative stuff. But basically, they are disguising pre-snap who's going where in cover two, but they're running cover two, Mike, a lot. And if it's not cover two... It's cover four. And the pretty much the main reason they're going to be going to cover four is very often in their long down distances, they'll be looking to run cover four and then they will run palms. You know, they'll yeah. run switch coverage out of that, which aren't crazy match coverages. They're not like out here running, you know, single high save and rip Liz nonsense. They're not out here running match quarters. <laughs> it's, it's pretty basic checks that have been around for a while. Cover two, cover two man and cover four. Right. If you can throw it all over on them, go for it. Do it. But it's tricky to. The the typical ways you'd like to see a team attack cover two and cover two man would be obviously up the middle of the field splitting the safeties or in the honey holes, right? If you go into the Kareem Jackson side to hit the honey hole, good luck. If you're going to the Sharice Wright side, we got a conversation. Let's throw the ball at 43 a lot. That feels great. Uh, that's that's one guy I want to get into because as the re- as far as the rest of the secondary goes, let's 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 reset this. Okay, so eleven okay. personnel. The, the Texans will answer with their big dime. If you're coming out in 12 personnel, the Texans want to stay in base. They want to stay with those three linebackers. So that kind of helps them. And because hey, they don't, they, 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 none of, I mean, like, I'll take it, but Cunningham's good in coverage and McKinney's good in coverage. Right. And Merciless is a pass rusher. This team is very talented. They're still trying to figure out what they are in big dime, though. So what you're going to see is you're going to see the, you're going to have the outside corners, Kareem Jackson and Jonathan Joseph. Kareem Jackson is going to kick inside to nickel. They're going to bring in Sharice Wright, who is the weak link in that in that defense in outside corner. And then they're going to add Andre Hall 
as a third safety. They'll have Zach Cunningham at linebacker, and then they might sub out an interior lineman for Whitney Merciless, who blitzes 69% of the time on pass plays. And that's a tell, by the way. If Merciless is, is in there, he's probably coming. If McKinney yes. or Kohler in there, they're dropping. Merciless once was, like a couple years ago, a linebacker. And so right. he's still technically like a linebacker. I'm sure in Pro Bowl voting, he would be called a linebacker. He's an edge. He yeah. rushes off the edge. So as far as the rest of the secondary goes, when Kareem Jackson kicks in, Sharice, Sharice Wright comes in. I mean, that's that's the reason for me right there that they rank, what, 20th for opposing third down conversions. And it's largely mm-hmm. been because of the issues at nickel before that they're trying to compensate by kicking in Kareem Jackson, who has a 75.8 quarterback rating when targeted. Jonathan Joseph will leak some yards, but he has a 76.1 quarterback rating when targeted. He's allowed two touchdowns. He's grabbed two interceptions, though. Sharice Wright, when he's in, that is the guy that we're talking about here. Four touchdowns allowed on the season, 119.8 quarterback rating. Look, Honey Badger can be real volatile in coverage too, as much as we love him. And Justin Reed hasn't been perfect. So there are areas and matchups in which you can win. And as far yeah. as the linebackers go, I'm attacking McKinney. Uh, the, the, he's the bigger thumper type rather than the lengthy speed guy, like a guy like Zach Cunningham, right? Right. When they're dropping McKinney into coverage, regardless of whether or not he's the Mike or he's operating as their Sam or their Will or opposite, they're trying to drop him middle of the field underneath a tight end or a slot release. It's just yeah. sit underneath that guy, take away the quick intermediate hits, because that lets them protect that area in cover two, which makes a ton of sense. It's it's mm-hmm. that Tampa 2 idea. They're not dropping him all the way down the middle of the field. That would be dumb. But he's quickly bailing to that area. And you'll see on play action, the Texans linebackers are some of the best coached play action linebackers we've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, not okay we've ever seen like this year like <laughs> obviously play action is very effective philadelphia's been using a ton of play action second highest rate in the nfl according to nfl matchup on espn and even i think with nick Foles, you see it even more frequently in my opinion you're gonna get mckinney dropping and then even when it's cunningham they'll do it less frequently but it's very often just dropping underneath that route and i think that's why you're gonna really struggle with the zach Ertz in breaking sit route across the middle the zach Ertz five step step across the middle that stuff the texans are very oriented on taking away now yeah. if you're going to be in cover four you're going to have the outside for zach Ertz, especially when he's coming out of the slot uh because Ertz is going to be able to release into the slot collision if the the curl the hook curl defender whoever it is that you're getting there and he's going to be able to get that quick outside release so you might be seeing a lot of outside the numbers games from philadelphia which will probably move us away from those double wing sets we talked about in the last podcast and more towards your traditional trips your three by one spread them out into the field and get urza in the inside slot and then just release them quick to the outside and we're talking again free money stuff that can substitute in for the running game because we don't anticipate the running game to be super successful in that regard the seam you're going to struggle. You're yeah. going to struggle. You're you're not going to be able to get Ertz going upfield or inside. And I think that's an important thing to acknowledge very quickly. So you want to be getting him outside. Where do you get your deep plays? You got to get Alshon. You, this, like, obviously, like, Alshon had a hot game against the Rams, and you want to keep feeding him. But even more so in a situation where when the Texans are going to give you man coverage, your biggest advantage, even if it is Kareem Jackson, who's a smaller corner, and doesn't do super well with size. I, I, to me, Alshon is, is the number one man option. And uh, like, you know, that's independent of opponent. We've talked about yeah. that all the time. Alshon's the best man beater. But especially in a game against a team like the Texans, their biggest weakness on defense is outside corner. We know Foles likes to feed him. We know Alshon's successful there. 
this could be big Alshon game number two. If I had a bold prediction for the game, season high in yardage output for Alshon Jeffrey. I like that. I think that's a good prediction. And as we talked about on the last show and the recap show of the Eagles and Rams, he's going to get that look pre-snap. He's going to see that matchup. And Nick Foles, again, with that super quick release that he had last game, let's see if it carries over to this game and he makes those decisions quick, gets the ball to Alshon Jeffrey. I would definitely like to see that. I worry about that because... right. It's good and bad. Right. No, I'll put, I, I worry about, I don't anticipate seeing as quick of a release because of the safety bail I talked about previously. Right. Like, especially because Philadelphia is going to want to go 12, which, oh, yay. But uh, they're going to want to go 12. And when they do, against 12 and 13, the Texans bring that safety down into the box, but they very, they don't frequently go cover one, cover three, middle of the field closed. When that safety is down into the box, which is what most teams would do. It's why we love 12, because we say, oh, 12 tight splits, force a team into cover one, cover three. The Texans, as I said, Romeo Cornell says, hey, I'm going to play cover two man. Get me out of it. I dare you. Right? So they'll bring that safety down to the box to be plus one against the run and then bail him into a deep half, which would be crazy if it wasn't (laughs) number 32 who can do it. Right? Right. You know, like that's a, that's a big ask and they can pull it off. And then they'll switch out of that, and they, they, they do different releases. So, I I mean, I was right there with, like, yo, quick passes, isolated one-on-one matchups. Sometimes you don't know you have those until it's later in the rep. And so that's where things get tricky. And that's a good point because what the Texans like to do is they'll bring those safeties down, and they'll have those five guys at the line, and they're all standing around, and you've got a zero tech, and you've got all these different, yep. different things going on. You don't know who's coming, and next thing you know, the Honey Badger is taking a step in that he's bailing out. You've got Justin Reed coming from the other side. You have to be able to identify that post-snap, and you have to be mm-hmm. able to hit that void. So you've got to be quick in your progressions. We'll see if Nick Foles can get it done in that area. I have a job for you. Hit me with it. Right. So, uh, so Mike Grow listens to the podcast. Well, we, we all know this. Right. And <laughs> we, we have to start contextualizing that he's only recently started listening to the podcast since the offense has gotten better. We don't want people Correct. to believe he always has listened to the podcast. That's why we've seen the recent uptick in 12 personnel. If he had been listening for two months, I mean, that's perfect proof that he's just now a new listener. There's no other explanation. Correct. So Grow listens to the podcast. Uh, Grow's got the ear of Doug. And so, Mike, I need you right now to convince Grow for me. Uh, to tell Doug that because of what we talked about with the five-man confusion and because of what we talked about with the dedication to cover two man and the lack of man coverages, I can't believe I'm saying this because this goes against everything I believe in. I would be happy to see some more six, seven-man protection and two, three-man route concepts. Oh, yeah. Which you saw the Jets be successful with and you saw the Colts be successful with. And a lot of that is because if the Texans are spot-dropping, they're not going to be adjusting to routes and being as free to move in their zones as necessarily they would be in a pattern match situation. Players will still make plays. I'm not arguing that. They absolutely will still make plays. But when you get them into you know a traditional two-man shell off the one of their ideal blitz looks and you leave in a few guys to pick that up, well, now you've got the sideline and now you've got the middle of the field to potentially work multi-break routes, especially if you can get them in quarters as much as we like Justin Reed and Teron Matthew, them matched up against Nelson Aguilar is a win Nelson Aguilar's way out of the slot. So I would love to see some two three-man route concepts with some max protect. Convince Grow for me when you get the time. Same side though, right? You want to do a lot of the same side stuff. Even if it's three routes, you want two working together in conjunction intermediate. Of course, right, right. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's all conditional on matchups. So if you're going right. to be getting... Like, if you come out in your opening script and you run, you know, Alshon and Aguilar to the same side with Aguilar on the inside, and you see that you're getting, you know, uh, Kareem Jackson inside and Sharice right outside, we're feeding 
you know, Jeffrey, you know what you need. If they adjust to that and now they start bringing over, you know, and it's Matthew over Aguilar and you're not liking it as much, well, then you can go opposite side and see if you can get them into a better matchup. It's going to be conditional on how they choose to play it. I couldn't tell you how, what they're going to do there. No, I like that idea, though. Okay, prediction time, Ben. The Texans okay. have allowed over 30 points only once this year. That was against the Colts back in week four, which they won in overtime that kicked off their nine-game win streak. That said, if the Eagles are able to move the ball, and give themselves chances in the red zone. The Houston defense, as much as we like them, has struggled in that area. 74% conversion for the year ranks 30th. They've been 75% in the last three weeks. So while they've moved some things around on that secondary to try to hide some weaknesses, that's an area that hasn't turned around for them. Their worst defensive stats, 30th in goal line success rate, 32nd in first and goal success rate. So boy, you got to get it close, but if you can, you can run it against them. So the Eagles have put up over 30 points well they put up 30 points last week over 30 points another time during the year that's against the Giants but they also against the Rams benefited from four true turnovers the two the three turnovers and then the the failed punt pass conversion there yes and they also benefited from the best starting average field position of any team in week 15 starting at their own 39 on average best in the NFL the Eagles are two and a half point favorites over under is 46 so that means that's about a score of we're going to call it for this exercise we'll call it 24 to 22 do the Eagles score over 24 Ben okay Uh, first I'm mad that you that you knew the lines I wanted to ask what you thought the line was because man oh man like I'm I'm all here for the Eagles you know fighting it out uh, and, uh, you know, at home and, and keeping the season alive. It's interesting that the Texans are not favorites when they have just recently been on a nine-game win streak and have been pretty – they didn't get blown out. Like, I don't know why right. why the opinion on the Texans is so low by Vegas. The Texans are 9-1 and one over their last 10 games, and the Eagles are 5-5 <laughs> five and five over their last 10 games. <laughs> right? Right, yeah. But – and that's not even like, you know, like – it's not even like Philadelphia is like 3-0. The Eagles are like – one and one over the last, they're three and one over the last four games. Like, yay. But like, so it, the line came out even when it dropped. And so I guess for home field advantage, how many points are you giving for that? So I, I think Vegas was three leaning. points. Yeah. Three points. Yeah. So there you go. So technically, it started out like on a neutral field, Houston favored by three. And now it's Houston favored by one close to a pick em. Uh I'm going to lay down the prediction that we're going to see sharp action on the Texans come Sunday. But yeah. do the Eagles score more than 24? As Mike and I have discussed before, 24 is the golden number. The Eagles are like undefeated when they score <laughs> more than 24 slash yeah. have never lost when they allow less than 24. It just seems to be the number for the Peterson-Schwartz era. I don't think they score more than 24. I don't. Foles hater. What a full, yeah. yeah, massive full hater. You know, that's exactly where we're going to go with that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend, I, I will be honest, I spent a good amount of time offensive game planning for this game until I realized that like Carson wasn't the quarterback, I was like, oh man, Boots would be great for this game. And then I was like, wait a minute, Nick Foles can't move. Uh, but anyway, I don't think they score more than 24. Uh, I think that they, they benefited from a ton of short fields against the Rams. And obviously, I think they only had like 10 or 13 points off turnovers or something, but still from a game script and from a possession perspective, uh, they obviously benefited from that tremendously. So I don't think they score more than 24. I do think that they can very easily win this. Not very easily. I do think they have a good shot to win this game, despite not scoring 24. I do think that this this defensive front against the Houston Texans offensive line, which is booty cheeks, is a really good situation for the Eagles. But 
in my read of this, if the Eagles were to win this game, I don't think it's because of a strong offensive output so much as it is a strong defensive output. So uh, I'm yeah. going to go with under on 24 total points for the Eagles. If they go over 24 points, my thinking is they're going to need two to three turnovers to make that happen. They're not going to do it solely on the back of the Which, offense. Which, hey, opinion. it's then it's another good defensive output, and I was right anyway, so screw you guys. So I'm going to go under as well, and I'll put that caveat out there. I'm sure people will love that. Ben? I think that does it for this show, the preview of the Houston Texans defense going up against the Philadelphia Eagles offense on the next one. Well, you're going to tell them what the next one is. Ben, would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners? The next one is a Houston offense, which should be really <laughs> obvious, <laughs> especially if you've listened to the show because we do the same thing every week, team. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Solak show here on BGN Radio, unless you're Jadavian Clowney, in which case I hate you. Uh, but for the rest of you, I appreciate you <laughs> listening to the podcast, Mike. Listen to the podcast. We know this. We appreciate you, saw, you, you swinging you see, by. Wait, did you see Jaws? You see Jaws? Oh, like yeah. The, uh, the Shout octopus? out. Listen, Jaws, if you're listening right now, I love you. And I always have. And thank you for liking our tweet. But anyway, <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Thanks Dude. all you regular, regular folk as well. Let me tell you, that's so cool. I met Jaws at the draft, shook his hand. I'm sure he remembers me. I'm, I, I know that's what it is. Yeah. That's why he recently followed me on yeah. Twitter is because he gets well, sure that guy from I'm, draft. I'm sure he remembers you too. He just calls you Chris and thinks you wear 42 and plays safety for the <laughs> Philadelphia Eagles. Thank you for listening to this show. Okay, that's what I'm trying to get across here. No matter if you're Jaws, Jadavion Clowney, or anything in between. Uh, we appreciate you swinging by and listening. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter. At Benjamin Solak, that's that's all case. Michael Kist on Twitter. At Michael Kist, NFL's KIST. As he said, Houston offense, Eagles defense tomorrow. You've got our final predictions against the spread as well. And then BGN Radio main show will be giving you the preview of that game with updated injury reports, narratives, and the whole nine yards. Uh, again, Eagles went out, and they have a 75% chance of making the playoffs, folks. And they're not going to lose to the Redskins Week 17. So this is the one right here. This is a big end. Uh, it all comes down to this, and we're glad that you chose us to get you ready for the show. Please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe. I have not checked, but I feel like we're at 594. Mike, that's my gut. Uh, I think we're near there at 600. I'd like to see us get there for the Texans game because, man, if we lose that game, y'all are going to stop listening. Don't stop listening, though, because we're going to talk about the draft and stuff. It's going to be great. Uh, yeah, this was the <laughs> podcast. Thank you. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was, well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to The Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.